In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christianity is about Christ, so let us set our hearts and minds on him. The Gospel of Luke records two major events in the life of Jesus while Jesus was still a newborn. At eight days old, Jesus was circumcised. And at 40 days old, Jesus' parents brought him to the temple in Jerusalem. The circumcision of Jesus took place in order to fulfill the Old Testament law. But of course, this rite traces all the way back to Abraham and to the promise that God made to Abraham. That in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so at the circumcision of Jesus, we see that the seed and child promised all those years ago to Abraham had finally come. And at the circumcision of Jesus, we see exactly what Paul would later see. That Jesus is himself born under the law in order to redeem those who are under the law. And we also begin to see how it is that all the nations of the earth, not just the Jews, but how all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. It is precisely through the shedding of Jesus' blood. It is at his circumcision that Jesus first sheds his blood. And Jesus there receives the name given to him by the angel. The angel said, he shall be called Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. As Jesus' name is being given to him, he sheds his holy blood for the first time. He will save his people from their sins through the shedding of his blood. And what is begun there in the circumcision of Jesus comes to completion at the cross of Jesus. As John would later write, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The second major event of Jesus' infancy occurs on the 40th day after his birth. And again, in accordance with Old Testament law, this event is known to us as the presentation of Jesus in the temple. But a closer look actually reveals three separate events within this presentation. First, there is the purification of his mother, Mary. Second is the presentation of the firstborn. And third is the redemption of the firstborn. Since we're not all Old Testament Hebrews, this might strike us as rather strange, but in understanding these things, we come to a fuller understanding of who our Savior Jesus is. So that's the point. The purification of Mary is, of course, the fulfillment of an Old Testament law. The book of Leviticus records God's instructions regarding the ritual purification of mothers. And there in Leviticus, we read that a woman who gives birth to a male child is considered unclean for seven days, and after those seven days pass by, she is to be homebound for another 33 days. See this as you will, but in a way, God mandates a kind of maternity leave. 
After this, the mother is to offer a sacrifice for her purification, a lamb for a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. If the family was poor, the woman could forego the lamb and just bring two young pigeons or two turtle doves. So in his gospel that we just heard from St. Luke, he tells us that Mary and Joseph made the offering of the poor. And thus was Mary purified in accordance with the Old Testament law. But in truth, this rite of purification points us not so much to Mary, but ultimately to Mary's son. Because when he is offered once and for all on the cross, this and all other purification rites come to an end forever. As the scriptures say, it is the blood of Jesus that purifies us from all sin. Luke next directs our attention to the second point I mentioned earlier, to the presentation of Jesus itself. Jesus is brought into the temple. Now, the law didn't mandate that Jesus be brought specifically to the temple in Jerusalem. So we learn something about Mary and Joseph's faith in their choice to walk Jesus the five or so miles and to present him at the temple in Jerusalem. In other words... They believed what the angel had said about their child. They believed their son to be the Messiah. The question posed by the song, Mary, did you know, can be answered with a simple yes. Mary did indeed know that her son was the Messiah. And that takes us to the third part, the redemption of the firstborn. But fascinatingly, as Joseph and Mary present her firstborn son in the temple, Luke omits this altogether. Conspicuously, he leaves the redemption of Jesus out. Now, according to the Old Testament law, the firstborn belonged to the Lord. The family had to redeem him or buy him back, if you will. The redemption of the firstborn, this rite, traces all the way back to the Exodus and the death of Egypt's firstborn males. The firstborn males of the Hebrews, who were spared by God, belonged to God. And they had to be redeemed by the family or bought back. The small price for buying back the son wasn't what mattered. What mattered was the remembrance of how God had delivered them from the Egyptians saving his people from Egypt, and sparing their firstborn sons by the blood of the Passover lambs. With that background in mind, we can see why Luke so conspicuously and intentionally omits this. He doesn't mention the so-called redemption of Jesus precisely because in Jesus the entire rite is both fulfilled and in a way flipped on its head. Luke's point is that Jesus is the true firstborn that all the other firstborns have been pointing to. And Jesus is the true Passover lamb that all the other Passover lambs have been pointing to. And Jesus doesn't need to be redeemed because he is himself the redeemer. What matters isn't Mary and Joseph's redemption of Jesus, though they no doubt did this in order to fulfill the law, what matters for Luke and for us is that Jesus was there redeeming his parents. 
and along with them, all of us. Not with gold or silver, but with his own precious blood, he redeems us and buys us back so that we belong to him and are his own. And that is the most comforting of all things. Despite all our sins, our sins even against Jesus himself, our discontent, and our grumbling against him about our lot in life, what we have or don't have or think we should have, our lack of trust in him, and our pursuit of earthly things in order to fulfill that which only he can fulfill in us, our idolatry, subtle and not so subtle, our outright betrayal of him with our minds, with our words, with our bodies, and our failure to treat others as we would have them treat us, to forgive others as Jesus himself has forgiven us, our failure to love others as God has so loved us, and all the haughtiness and arrogance and looking down our nose that comes along with our lovelessness. And yet, despite all these things, Jesus does not forsake us. He has redeemed us and bought us, made us his own, not with gold or silver, but again with his own precious blood. And so he purifies us and he bids us to come to him, confessing our sins so that he might grant us absolution, forgiveness. He bids us come to him, seeking mercy from him, for he is the merciful one. He bids us come and lift up our broken hearts to him so that he might heal them and create in us clean hearts and renew in us right spirits. And as a sign and seal of all this, Jesus bids us come unto his table to eat with him both as his guest, but even more, as his friend, an eternal friend, and more, that we might receive from him his cup, and in receiving his cup, receive his blood, not symbolically, but in truth, for his blood cleanses us from all our sins, not symbolically, but in truth. And that's why you don't want to miss a Sunday. Jesus is here waiting for you at his table, our master and also our friend, fully human. And sometimes we forget that. Fully human, who not only loves you, but actually likes you. Who notices when you didn't come, when you're not around. Who loves you, longs to hear from you and speak to you, to console you, and forgive you, to strengthen you, and to give you a foretaste of that heavenly joy, which sometimes seems so far away, but in fact isn't. Luke tells us of a certain man named Simeon, who is righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And as we see, the consolation of Israel is a person, Jesus. What follows in Luke's account and in Simeon's prayer is nothing short of beautiful. 
Simeon takes the infant Jesus in his arms and he blesses God and he prays. And there in his prayer and in the words recorded by Luke, we hear that Jesus is not only called the consolation of Israel, but also the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed one. Holding Jesus in his arms, Simeon prays to God, my eyes have seen your salvation. And so we hear another name for Jesus, your salvation, the salvation that has come to us from God. There is salvation in no one else, the scriptures say. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Simeon calls this little infant in his arms light. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. If you find yourself sick of all the darkness in our politics and in our country, all the darkness in the world, all the darkness in the people around you, and even the darkness that's in your own heart, then you need more light. You need more Jesus. Wherever the word of Jesus is, there Jesus is. And wherever the sacraments of Jesus are, there he is too. And he is the light that no darkness can overcome. So fitting is the prayer that Simeon prays. It has, from ancient times, been taken into our liturgy and placed immediately after the Lord's Supper. In fact, in a few minutes, we'll get to sing it. In your hymnal or in your service folder, it's called the Nunc Dimittis, which is the Latin shorthand for, now you dismiss us. What we're saying is that just as Simeon received Jesus in his arms, in Holy Communion, we receive him as well. When we see the bread that is his body and the cup that is his blood, we too can say, my eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all peoples. And the language of dismissal and departure takes on a double meaning in our liturgy. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace means that the service is coming to an end. But it also means that like Simeon, we have seen Jesus. And so we may also depart this life in peace. Peace in all departures, in all comings and in all goings. For we know who our Savior is. We know that his blood cleanses us from all our sins. We know that because of him, God is at peace with us. And therefore, we should also be reconciled and at peace with him. And whatever his will might hold for us, Christianity is about Christ, so let our hearts and minds be set on him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.